Sex game, that ass texting me up. Yeah. I got the moves. I got the moves. I'm making moves. You gotta move. You gotta move. She made that back move. She made Welcome to Cautiously I Optimistic. Uh, my name is Jesse Brummel. I'm Nick Ostler. I'm Sully Angles. And we're here uh, chopping it up again. Chopping it up. Talking shop. Back for round two. Thank you for listening to our first episode. We appreciate the feedback. Uh, hopefully, you can make this one just as good as the first one. And I'm going to say better. Many more yeah. Um, yeah, Onward better. and upward. You know? Mm-hmm. And you know who was upward this week? Tell us, Jess. The greatest quarterback of all time. Go on. Tom Brady. Keep it going. And? Super Bowl win. And? Bill Belichick. New England Patriots. <sighs> I'm not going to sit here and say that like I'm happy, but I did pick it right, so I'm not mad. I just want to say, I said last week that no matter how many points the Falcons got up, that thing was not over. Uh-huh. I tweeted it in the middle of the game. Uh-huh. You were still tweeting the, reckless, though. I was reckless because, you know, <laughs> but the one tweet I had to bring me back down to earth was the one about the win probability because it was like 96% at halftime. I think, you know, we tweeted it later. But, you know, the, the Patriots <laughs> had to stay cautiously optimistic, and that's what they did. And I don't know. That was one of the craziest things I've ever seen on any sort of sporting event, any sort of championship game. I, it was just uh, so disheartening, so saddening. You know, saddening. I was so. As a sports fan, don't you want to see the best show? Why they're the best? Because for me, this what the Super Bowl represented for. It represented two big things. It was kind of, it kind of was wrapped up nicely in a bow in the sense that in one game, in one win, in one comeback, not only was the fleet gate just obliterated, but Tom Brady was cemented his legacy as. As Jesse said, the GOAT, greatest of all time. It all happened at once. It all happened in that fourth quarter. And it was an amazing comeback by an amazing player. And yes, a lot of people don't like the Patriots for whatever reason that might be. You know, you know, whatever they want to say about why they don't like the Patriots. The bottom line is that, as I was saying last podcast, this is why Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. He wins this game that no other quarterback could have won, I don't think. Well, I just want to bring it up straight out then. Um, was this... It seems to me you're saying that this is more of a, a comeback win from New England and not Atlanta choking. Is that correct? I will say that while this was a massive choke by Atlanta, it's almost like they couldn't stop the storm that was hitting them. You know what I mean? Tom Brady got just a little sliver of hope that was needed, and he ran with it. And if you give a legend like Tom Brady that kind of hope... Sure, yeah. He needed, to, he needed things to go right. It was a game of inches. We saw it. We saw the Edelman catch, a game of inches, literally an inch above the ground when he caught that ball. You know, we saw, you know, little, just little things that happened. The coin flip. The coin flip at the end of overtime. If that, if that goes to the Atlantic, who knows what happens. But that was a big moment, too, in the game. I'm just saying, if you give Tom Brady those chances, he's not, he's not going to be a guy who's going to give those up and let those slip, slip away. I agree, but for the same reason, you said that you don't stop Tom Brady, and I agree. You saw what he did. Love the comeback. I think it's a choke job by Atlanta, not because they couldn't stop Tom Brady, but because they couldn't put any points on the board. It had nothing to do with Tom Brady. If you put up three points in the second half, you win that game. 
So to me, that's a bigger choke from Atlanta because, and I mean, you especially go down to that drive where they had a holding penalty and a sack on the same drive that kicked them out of field goal range. Yeah. You know, those kind of things just can't happen, and that goes to Atlanta choking in my eyes. Um, yeah, you know, I don't think it was Atlanta's players that choked. I think it was Kyle Shanahan that choked. And to me, you're up 25 points at one point, 28-3. And from that point on, less than five run plays the rest of the way, or five run plays. Yeah, I think plays. they ran five in the second half. Um, that's ridiculous. And you should know, you know, this is what I, I said. They get up big, and they let some teams score, but you got to control the clock. And they didn't control the clock. They stepped away from what they should have done and what they had done all year. You know, Devontae Freeman in that game at one point was averaging like 6.4 yards a carry. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, you give it to him twice, it's a first down. If you can get two first downs a drive even, running the ball two or three times, uh, it's over. You know, they, they're just not going to have enough time. And they just gave all the time in the world and didn't score. It's either you got to keep the gas on the pedal and you just, uh, or sorry, keep your foot on the pedal and just, you know, keep it going and just keep scoring or you got to run the clock down. And they didn't either. And so that's on Kyle Shanahan for not calling those plays. You know, when they got to that one third and one, when they were still in field goal range, and they went shotgun and then went out of field goal range, it was, you know, eerily similar to the, the Seahawks just a, years, a few years ago on the one and deciding to throw rather than just giving the ball to the running back, picking up that yard, picking up the first down, and probably picking up a win. And you bring up that Seahawks game, I think one of the funnier things that I saw the whole game was the Patriots got the ball down at the one, and the first thing they did on their first play was fade to Martellus Ben. Oh, they did? They threw a fade to Martellus Ben. I thought that was hilarious because we're sitting there like, he's, they got to run it. You know, yeah. So they just won. Two oh, years and ago. yeah, that was the play where Vic Beasley almost intercepted. It was scary. And it was for a moment we were watching the game, I jumped out of my seat when he had his hand on that. He was off balance. You yeah. know, there's no way he could have caught that. I don't think unless it would have been some kind of crazy play. But if he could have somehow, you know, gathered himself and made the interception, he probably would have gotten the key uh, to the city of Atlanta. Probably. Within hours after that game. I think he would have gotten a few features from 2 Chains, Migos. Yeah, just shout-outs yeah. on shout-outs, a mm-hmm. feature, guest feature on the next season of Atlanta. He could do whatever he wanted. Anything he wanted to do would be within his grasp. But you bring that up, too, with the five run plays, and I think that's one of the bigger things is, while you are correct, one thing that did impact it was Alex Mack's injury. Yeah, and that's tough. Played with a it's, broken leg. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna impact your your play calling, but it's still inexcusable. Yeah, okay, I, I still I see what you're saying. Yes, there was some mismanagement with the clock for Atlanta for sure, but I still give the credit to Brady. You saw what he did to just masterminding these drives. They weren't even big play drives. They're you know he he just finds the guys where he knows they're gonna be. He knows that playbook. He knows what he needs to do to get a drive um, in that situation. Short passes to his to his main guys, and, and throughout that most of that game. The, the magic didn't seem to be there for the Patriots. You know, overthrowing Edelman, or just drop, Pass, drop yeah. past Hogan. You just kind of thought, this is not their night, what's going to happen. But yeah, for some reason, it's just, you know, the, near the end of the third quarter, towards into the fourth quarter, it almost seemed like a, a two-minute drill for the whole 12, 15 minutes there. Um, Brady just finding these guys, boom, 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 quick pass, quick pass, get the first down. I mean, there was that huge, you know, fourth, uh, fourth down play where they got the first down. I think it was Amendola who caught it. Um, he just made all the plays that he needed to make in that um, fourth quarter where the margin for error was literally zero. And that's why I think uh, that's what stood out to me the most. Um, yeah. You know, he, it, was, it wasn't going his way early, but he, he just did it when he had to. Yeah, and, and to me, it, it, you know, he got it done, and there wasn't you know, anything extremely spectacular Brady did. You know, he started making the throws he should have made. 400. Yeah, so I mean, yards. but like, you know, he, he 
through. He started hitting his wide receivers in stride. Can't forget about that 19 yard run to get that first. Yeah, he shows blazing <laughs> speed. Um, I think a big thing too, kind of going back to uh, only calling five run plays and not managing the clock to the best of their ability. Falcons defense was gassed at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Those last two drives when they were up uh, 16, still they could not stick with the wide receivers. And then when they did manage to stick with the wide receivers, they had the running back coming out of the backfield white and just tearing them apart. Um, and that, again, just goes back to the playing calling on offense. You know, if you can keep the offense on the field a little longer, give the defense a little more rest. Offense helps your defense and vice versa. Yeah, it's just a uh, – it was tough. So tough to watch the Falcons in Atlanta. The, especially they were in that graphic during the game about uh, New England having all those championships and Atlanta having one as a city. <laughs> And he just felt like it was it was bubbling to the point, you know, Atlanta, the TV show had done so well, winning awards, <laughs> Migos uh, climbing the charts, I think they reached number one number yesterday. Number one album. And then you just feel like the Falcons are, are coming to, you know, just put the exclamation point on that city's great month, month and a half run, and Tom Brady just steals the show and brings it back to New England. Well, you bring up the fact that their defense was gassed, and I think... And I know I thought this, and I assume you guys thought the same thing, was when that overtime started and New England got the coin toss, I don't think there was any doubt they were going to march right down and score a touchdown. Which brings up the question, do you guys think that the overtime rules need to change in the NFL? Yes. The overtime in the NFL is awful. College football does it so much better that, you know, just starting on the 20, 25, whatever it is, um, and just having four-play series, just trying to punch it in, one first down, no clock, one timeout, maybe. Whatever it is, you know, the NFL could have its own rules, but just that format is way better. It gives the team an equal chance, much fun, or much more fun, especially when you add in the having to go for two in the third overtime. Yeah, that's That's always... a great addition to it as well. It's a much better system, I think. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but I'm, I'm always for sort of the idea of a, a rebuttal in sports. Yeah. You know, at least give both teams a shot at it, uh, you know. Baseball, you know, the, bottom, the the home team will always get a chance to bat after the road team bats. Yeah. You know, in basketball, basketball is just some more basketball. No, but that's, that's what it, it should be. You know, it's just um, that's, that's basketball. It's, it's, just, not, it's not like basketball, the first basket in overtime wins. You know, yeah. five minutes, it's, it's more playing for both teams. And, you know, in this situation, Patriots get the ball, and that pretty much locks it up. You know, you don't, yeah. you don't expect Tom Brady to relinquish that chance. Like I said, when they march down, people are, you know, talking about, oh, um, his knee was down like, on a walk-off touchdown there. Doesn't matter. It would have been a field goal anyway. Who like, cares? They would have scored on the next position. Yeah, they would have scored on the next My only problem with the NFL... Not my only problem. My biggest problem with the NFL overtime is that it can end in a tie. I would rather them just play a second overtime. Do I think the college overtime is better? Yes. I'm, I don't mind this overtime, though. My thing is, you know what I'm saying? Stop them. Sorry, if you can't, then you why you why do you deserve to win the game if you can't stop them in the first? Yeah, place? but the, the only reason that they didn't have a chance to get the ball first was just a coin flip. So basically, it comes down. No, like I get that. that. No, I get that. But what I'm saying is, if you can't stop the other team, you're not going to win anyway. Yeah, but if you're a team that you know it's just based on offense and scoring points, sure, you know you could have said you, you could say you could have get it done. The, well, come on, but it's not fair if you don't even have a chance. You know, if they could have gone back and forth scoring touchdowns in that overtime, it would have been fun. You know, it's interesting. Fun, sure. I think it's a much, uh, f- uh, you know, more creative and better way to do the game. It's fair to both teams to have a chance. You know, it's not fair to just have the Patriots march down the field 
and New or and Atlanta's offense not even get a chance to get the ball. You know, you know how they could have had a chance. Yeah, with their defense, I understand that. I'm not even going to set you up for the joke. I'm Stop just going to take it away. There's no joke. Stop them. I mean, I'm just saying it's it's an unfair system. It's not a very good system. I, like I said, I think college football is better, but I'm not mad at this. I think a lot of people are just ridiculous. I'm not mad. mad at this. I'm not mad at this. And the thing is, just stop them. If you're in the Super Bowl, you got to be able to stop a team. Stop them. You get a chance. Don't complain about having the best offense in the league and your oh, my offense didn't get a chance. Be a complete team then, and stop the people that you are supposed to stop. Sorry. Just like, just like Roger Goodell tried to stop the Patriots this season with the four-game suspension. I want to talk about the end of the game, the post-game celebration, the trophy ceremony. Uh, it was great. You know, the entire stadium was booing Roger Goodell as he was Excellent. talking to Robert Kraft before presenting with the trophy. You couldn't even hear what he was saying with the boos. What do, you, do you guys think that Roger Goodell even cares that he's getting booed? Do you think he's aware that people hate him or he's just, you know, I'm, I'm this rich guy. I, I know people hate me and I don't care. Or do you think it actually got to him? I, I, can't, I can't really tell. What do you guys think? Roger Goodell does not care. <laughs> not a single bit. He hears all the Patriots. He's, he's like the rest of America. He's out here saying he, he doesn't like the Patriots. No one likes the Patriots. He doesn't care. There's a reason he doesn't go to New England and watch those games. He knows he's going to get booed. And he doesn't want to go sit in the snow and watch Tom Brady win another game. He doesn't care. He's making so much money. Goodell is an interesting figure to me. I don't understand... Uh, how anyone, anyone really likes him. I mean, I've never met the guy, obviously. I don't know if he's, he's super friendly, if he's, you know, a, a personable guy, one of the boys who can just kind of get along <laughs> with the NFL players. It seems like that. You know, he's always sitting and talking with them and shaking hands, but maybe that's just because he's the commissioner and he gets that respect. So if he cares, um, I would hope he cares. You know, that's, that's one part of your league that, that you are in charge of, and uh, if you are doing that bad of a job to have a whole stadium boo you, you would try and change something. And I know part of that is just because he's suspended the quarterback. But I don't know. Maybe that. I hope that's a chance for him to reflect on what he's done, and maybe you know think about that. But I don't think he will. So I think he cares. I don't if, know if Robert Kraft likes him. I don't think he cares if Patriots fans like him. Yeah, like individual. You know, some goon on the street. I don't care. But. Obviously, I don't think he cares of a full state. Do you think? Do you think he cares if, if Brady doesn't hate him? I mean, do you think if Brady likes him, does he care about that? No. Why? I mean, that's the, one of the league's icons. The yeah. only the only person that he needs to care about is Robert Kraft because that's the only person in that stadium that he works for. Because technically, he works for the thirty-two owners. Yeah. And Robert Kraft doesn't even care. He, he you heard him in a speech. He just said, you know, a lot has transpired in the past two years. This one's way sweeter. He was just directly oh, calling out. Yeah. I, I yeah. Love that. And, yeah. It was hilarious. Um, and I don't know if you guys saw it today when they uh, when the Patriots. We're recording this on Monday night, so it's been about 24 hours since the game. Uh, the Patriots came back to uh, New England on the plane, and I, th- I think it was Matt Patricia who... Or yeah, he was wearing the Goodell shirt. Goodell shirt with a clown nose on Roger Goodell. And you guys, yeah. there was a commercial, uh, the Roger That commercial with Tom Brady. I don't know if you guys saw that. Yeah, that was a bold. Mm-hmm. Uh, bold. I loved, it. I loved it all. I mean, I know... The pettiness just in, in sports in general right now is an yeah. all-time high, and I, yeah. I'm here for it. The bottom line for me is I know a lot of people just don't like the Patriots because they're, whatever it may be, whether they think they're enti- like a elite bunch of guys, like group, you know, I don't know. It's The reason I, I respect them, at least, is just because I can respect greatness when I see it. And if, if we don't want to call Tom Brady the greatest quarterback of all time after what happened last night to get his fifth championship and one of the biggest, it was the best comeback in Super Bowl history, I don't know what else you need to see. And I, that's, I just have respect for that. I still hate Tom Brady. 
He's I mean, still the greatest. I don't, yeah, it's I great. Like you know, I was talking to someone about this. If I had watched that game and you could have taken the colors off the uniforms and I could have just been like watching football, you know, a demonstration of football, and I still knew the game, I'd be like, wow, that was amazing. You know, I can't believe that one team did that. But because I know it's the Patriots and Tom Brady, just I just can't appreciate it for as great as whatever it may be. I don't know what it is. I just dislike them that much. It's hard for yeah. me to separate it. Yeah, I mean, I know it's the, you know the greatest comeback ever in Super Bowl history, but I would rather just never talk about it again. <laughs> in all honesty, wow. I could care less. I mean, you know, it doesn't doesn't change the fact that he's the greatest quarterback of all time. No, it doesn't. I mean, he could care less what I think. But, it's true. Uh, it is what it is. But enough Super Bowl talk. Uh, football season is officially over. We're in full basketball mode right now. Um, up until the playoffs now. I know baseball's coming in soon, but it hasn't started yet. Uh, the Lakers are making some news. Magic Johnson has returned to the team as a special advisor to basketball operations. Uh, he made a big entrance last week, was doing multiple interviews with the TV network and just coming back into the fold. Do we like the move? I, I mean, Magic is an interesting guy. He makes some very, you know declarative brash statements on Twitter um, in terms of his basketball know-how he was one of the arguably the greatest point guard of all time so uh, obviously the game was also different back then but I think having Magic around is almost more of a ploy to you know draw interest back to the Lakers organization uh, an organization that kind of has fallen on tough times and kind of lost its luster in, in the eyes of free agents in the, in the eyes of the NBA really um I'm not really sure how much he'll be able to do. Uh, I know last week he said the Lakers are a superstar away from competing with Golden State and San Antonio, which is a very bold statement. Uh, I'm not sure if I agree with it. But, you know, if these young players continue to develop, maybe. Is Magic going to make any sort of difference here? I don't know if he's going to make a difference. I think think you're right in the fact that it's somewhat of a ploy. I don't think completely, but it's definitely somewhat of a ploy, and it's worked. It has. My biggest thing about the whole situation that I was really encouraged was that it came out that Jim Buss didn't know until very <laughs> late in the process, which is good. It's, it's a good thing because that means Jeannie's making decisions, and Jim is not really involved, and Jim's the one that's been doing a lot of the messing up here. And if Jim really is on his way out, I think that's a step in the right direction for the Lakers, whether that's with Magic or not. Yeah, and when you think about Magic, I think the thing to me is is he's uh, he's just a great face to have for your franchise. Mm-hmm. And you saw what he's done with the Dodgers. He knows nothing about baseball. No. But just the renovations to the stadium and, and just being the person that the media can turn to for a great quote about the Dodgers and, where the, and the direction of the franchise. Lakers don't have that right now, you know. That's a great thing for him. As far as like his basketball IQ and his ability to you know evaluate players and talent, I hope you know he doesn't do as much of that because I don't know if that's what he's uh, you know where his, his strength is. I know he obviously he's one of the best players of all time, but that doesn't make you a great evaluator necessarily. And the other thing is that you know the Lakers will always just be a brand, and that's sometimes we forget that during these tough times. Like the Lakers are unlike any other franchise in the sense that we are globally like you know Kobe's still. The number mm-hmm. one selling jersey in China right now, and being retired, and that's partially because he's a Laker, and because people love Lakers, 
and they love greatness and associate that with the Lakers. So that's good to have part of that championship history back in the building. Um, and the thing that really interested me, I want to know your guys' take on this, is where his thoughts on Mitch Kupchak. Because, you know, he said he wasn't afraid to move on from that. Um, I don't know how I felt about that. We'll get more onto that later, but just an initial thought on kind of his, his early quotes and what he's been saying about what he wants to do with the Lakers. Well, for me, it's kind of hard to take what Magic says seriously. Uh, like I said before, he makes these big, you know, generalized statements on Twitter. And that's kind of his mouthpiece for a lot of his opinions. And, you know, one of the first things we saw when the announcement was made last week, people were, you know, bringing back some, some of his old tweets talking about when the Lakers had Mike D'Antoni as a coach and, you know, when he when D'Antoni resigned after that didn't go too well, um, Magic Johnson tweets, it's a great day for the Lakers, uh, I'm paraphrasing, it's a great day for Lakers Nation, you know, Mike D'Antoni has resigned, um, and now, of course, Mike D'Antoni is probably the leading candidate for coach of the year in the NBA, <laughs> so it, it's not about the coach, you know, obviously Mike D'Antoni didn't have the right players for that, for his system, Mike D'Antoni is a system coach, and James Harden is the guy who will, you know, make that system flourish. So, like we said before, we don't know uh, whether or not Magic really is truly aware of the landscape of the NBA. So to, for him to make comments about Mitch and about the future of this team, I, I, I personally take it with a grain of salt. Uh, again, I think this is more of a brand um, ambassador type role to begin with. And, you know, whether or not how far how far he advances in basketball operations remains to be seen. I know Jim Buss had his you know ultimatum saying if the Lakers aren't in the Western Conference Finals by this year, then he's going to step down, and the Lakers are not going to be in the Western Conference Finals. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if he holds true to his word, uh, he'll be gone, which I think all Lakers fans can agree would be a good thing to yeah. have happen. And that power vacuum, maybe Magic can kind of step into a new role, but right now it's all still in the early stages. Um, I'm not against Magic um, being more involved. He's a great you know, person to be involved with the team in terms of his history with it and um, his brand. So with what he says, I mean, let him say it. Uh, it's, it's a po- I think it's a positive to have him around. Yeah. And you guys bring up the brand, both of you. I think that Magic does really understand the brand as someone who was with the Showtime Lakers. I mean, this guy yeah. knows Jerry Buss. This guy knows the brand of the Lakers, and he's not going to stray from that. Just going off of how the Lakers, you know, have kind of fallen from their pedestal as a team that, you know, people look up to, free agents look up to, they've really been, you know, hitting some troubles here, losing record-setting amount of games in the past few years and kind of becoming a laughingstock of the league. And, of course, last year we had the whole, the whole drama with Nick Young and Iggy Azalea, and Nick Young is kind of a, kind of a silly guy who's kind of represented that new sort of joke factor that the Lakers have become. But I'm just talking about Nick Young, the god, can you just Yeah, I love Nick Young. I don't know why you're hating on him. I'm not... Who's that about <laughs> hating on Nick Young? You called, called him called called silly, yeah. Well, he's a, can we argue... Are you going to say he's not a silly guy? He's Swaggy P. He's a silly guy. He has a nickname. He's self... He's got jokes. He's got jokes. He's also got a really good three-point shot. He does. He'll be taking to the All-Star game in New Orleans later this month as a three-point participant replacing Steph Curry, ironically. Um, but I don't know about you, I, got, I think this is going to be the most entertaining part of All-Star Weekend, having Nick Young, front center, national TV, Swaggy P, shooting threes. Yeah. The fact that we've never had Nick Young in a role like this in All-Star Weekend is devastating. 
and I'm just happy we finally got him. I think the world, I mean, so many different places have seen him as he's been on probably, I think, 37 of the NBA teams in the league. Um, Close. It's, it's going to be great to see him on the national spotlight really doing his thing, and he is going to relish it. I promise you that. He is made for the lights. Swaggy, is, is, it's, he deserves to be at All-Star Weekend Oops. simply because of his persona. You know, the, the league, he's an all-star for the league, yeah. and just in that sense. Uh, him in the three-point contest, great thing. Great, great thing. Uh, you know, he's going up against Kyle Lowry, Clay Thompson, Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Wes Matthews, C.J. McCollum, and Eric Gordon. I like his chances there. I'm going to say I like his chances. Swaggy P, dub. And you know what? And I feel like he could go on one of those stupid hot streaks and just just wipe it out. You know, he just crush it. Maybe even a he full could. rack. Maybe even a full, you know... Perfect round. Never been seen, I'm pretty sure, right? Never been seen before. I believe Why not him? Why not Swaggy P? Why not him? It's his time. Guys, before we continue, I just want to make clear, I think there might have been a little misunderstanding. I do not hate Swaggy P. I love love Swaggy P. I'm very excited to see this happen. My point was just that he represents a different kind of player that the Lakers have been used to, but that's not a bad thing, and this is going to actually be a great thing to have him in the three-point contest. Um... Who needs Steph Curry when you got Swaggy P? That's, that's I'd question. be 100% rather watch Nick Young just for the antics he'll put on. You, know, you can't tell me that during his, the last ball he shoots for every round, he's not going to just turn around and look into the crowd. Oh, yeah. I doubt he'll watch that thing regardless of if it goes in or out. He's not going to be looking. He's going to go classic, the, the famous picture of him with the mitts in the background, but it's going to be it's going to be all swishes. Yeah, and all swishes. And maybe even some props. I can see props coming out. I can see him doing it. Like, there's nothing that I'm ruling out you got the for Swaggy P also. And the shoes he's going to wear are going to be sensational. He'll probably wear Yeezys. I mean, why not? I'm just saying the new one's dropping the 11th. The three-point, the three fingers to the eye. We got the full-body Nicky Young shimmy. There's so many options to, to happen here, and I, I'm, I can't wait to see it. I'm excited. We're also excited about, you know, we're like I said, we're recording this on Monday night, and tonight the Lakers made some changes to their starting lineup. Uh, they replaced Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov, their two free agent signings with uh, second round, a second overall pick, Brandon Ingram and Tarek Black, some much younger players, kind of signaling perhaps a changing of the guard here. Um, you know, the Lakers are, they have, with, with their win tonight, they got their 18th win, which actually won more than last year, but they're not looking like they're going to make the playoffs, so it's really time to start um, focusing on player development. Of course, the Lakers are paying... Uh, Luol Deng and Timothy Mozgov a combined $136 million with those contracts and that is now sitting on the bench Mozgov hey, got hey. DMP CD but this is what needs to happen let's be honest yeah, yeah. no I, I completely agree and I, I mean I think Luol's gonna still get time so and I actually like him coming off the bench a lot um, and I like Mozgov sitting all game a lot personally <laughs> I don't like his contract I don't like that we're paying him all this money to sit on the bench but I think he A. shouldn't have ever been signed in the first place and B, should be sitting on the bench because we have guys like the god, uh, Zubox. Ivica? Ivica Zubox? Oh my god. You're talking about the G's unit. Zubox, a flock of flame, if you will. He had four blocks in that against the Knicks. Zuel Cinder. I mean, and Tark Black is playing really well, too. So you get these these younger guys in, guys that will be with the team longer, hopefully, or going to get more playing time in the future. Than guys like Mozgov, I hope, in the lineup, so we can start, like you said, start developing these players. Yeah, Luke said that Luke Walton, head coach of the Lakers, said he brought this idea to Mitch Kupchak, the general manager, and Mitch pretty much gave Luke the go ahead to 
do what you need to do for the team. And, you know, I think this is what's best for the team. It's time for, to develop these young players. The Lakers are not making the playoffs. I mean, they could potentially, but um, it's not my nice run. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think the thing is when you look at the, the, the two uh, things in the league that you need to have right now, are a player that a big man specifically that can defend on a pick and roll because teams like the Warriors, you know, the Cavs, all the great teams in the league have a pl- have two players that can run the pick and roll with and, and just tear up defenses. And that's how a part of the reason the Cavs stuck with the Warriors and beat them eventually last year is because they could defend against Steph Curry mm-hmm. coming out and making him take those really long shots or getting into his face and making him uncomfortable. And, and Kevin Love and, got the clamps. You know, Kevin Love has absolute lockdown defense. Another great performance for him tonight, but that's another subject. Facts. Lakers, Mozgov cannot guard anyone out there. Charlie Black, maybe a little shorter than we would like, but definitely more athletic. Larry Nance, great, can mm-hmm. do that out there. Uh, Zubots, need a little, a little time to develop, get a little stronger, but it looks right now like he can be another guy that can do that. Also, looks like a Greek god. Yeah. So, you gotta like that. And uh, the other thing is, is having Brandon Ingram there, having a stretch that can bring up the ball, a wing presence like that. Looked really um, good tonight. Looked really good, shooting it better. I'd love to see a Laker playing well in Madison Square Garden, too. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a big thing. I think it was an interesting uh, move by Luke and a cool move by Luke to have his first uh, start in a while be in the garden. Because, you know, Kobe performs so well there, and we'd love to see that every time. It was always a show. Yeah, yeah. speaking of the garden, we just, uh, between our first recording and tonight, this recording, the Lakers uh, celebrated the eight-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 61-point game in the garden in mm-hmm. 2009. Uh, that was Kobe Bryant on February 2nd, 2009. Now, Kobe Bryant um, has retired, but there was some sad news about Kobe uh, recently. Uh, apparently, his high school, alma mater, Lower Marion High School um, in Pennsylvania, had a little uh, break-in, and somebody broke into the, uh, I guess, display in the gym and took Kobe's jersey, his high school jersey, which, eventually, which turns out the joke was on the uh, robber because... The school said that that was a replica jersey and has little to no monetary value. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, first off, why is Kobe's jersey not in the Raptors? Why is it mm, anywhere anywhere uh, that is accessible to anyone? Uh, no further questions. Okay, now we're going to move on over to the triple threat. Triple threat. Oh, yeah, you like that. We're going to start it off overrated, underrated, and just continuing uh, from our Lakers segment, our overrated, underrated topic today will be Mitch Kupchak. Mm. Um, As you know, he's been talks specifically from Magic Johnson about maybe moving on from the Mitch era of Lakers basketball. And personally, when I think of Mitch Kupchak, I've enjoyed what he's done. But it may be time to think about him being a little overrated, you know. And to me, you know, the the thing that sticks out in my mind when I first brought this up, you know, I was on the on the stance that he was underrated. But the more I thought about it, his biggest trade was the Pau Gasol trade, and that was an absolute steal. We would never forget that. We can always thank for that. Uh, Since then, you know, the draft has gone very well for us. But those two signings this offseason were just not. You guys talk about it all the time. No good. Maybe it's time to switch it up. And I know it's a scary prospect because what is out there? What's lingering for the Lakers in the future? Who will replace him that could be better? Is there a better option? I don't know at this time. But maybe he's a little overrated. Sully, my man, say it ain't so. You cannot... 
be trashing Mitch like that. Mitch is not overrated. Let me just walk you through a few things here. Tell me. Please enlighten and me. For, for the audience. For the audience. Mitch, yes, you mentioned the Pagas Hall trade. What a steal. Yes, it was. But was that his best trade? No. We forget about the Chris Paul trade, of course. Knicks, for basketball reasons, that was a great trade. We could have paired Chris Paul with Kobe with perhaps... And then, and then Dwight. Yes, it didn't work out. Nash didn't work out. Think about all these players he's acquired over the years to to be on the team. But let me, let me continue. Oh, yeah, continue. please go on. You mentioned, you mentioned the draft picks. Uh, yes, great. I think there have been some steals in this draft. Uh, he chose DeAndre Russell over Julio Okafor, which I think turned out to be a good pick because, of course, Julio Okafor is now not even playing on the Sixers and might be traded to the Pelicans. Um, sorry, sorry, Julio, that's just not going to go well for you. And let's think about some other picks he's made. Larry Nance, a late first-round pick. I believe he was number 27. A 27th pick, Larry Nance, double-double tonight at the Garden. I'll take that. Larry Nance is a bright future. Can we also talk about Jordan Clarkson, forty mm-hmm. sixth pick? Talk to the him. Lakers didn't even have a pick. The Lakers paid the Washington Wizards for the pick to draft Jordan Clarkson, who has turned out to be a solid rotation um, contributor for the Lakers and a good piece going forward. Mitch has done wonders for this team, and yes, the Mozgov and Dang signings were a little head, uh, were you know induced some head scratching. But um, overall, we're looking at a guy who has worked tirelessly to uh, make this team better. And I will never call him overrated. He's done a lot. Um, Mitch is somebody that needs to be here. Of course, the NBA has evolved around him in terms of, in terms of collective bargaining to make things a little tougher on him. Because you know, if you look about it, if you if you think about it, the lockout back in twenty eleven was almost you can argue a result of you know how the Lakers had become this team of you know big market team, big market players. But sure, you can use the big, you can use the market excuse, but you can also use the excuse that maybe Kupchak was, you know, using his guile and his smarts to create a team like that. Getting Pau, you know, getting Chris Paul. Just think about it. Uh, I'm always going to support Mitch. Just you, you want to go on this or you want to rebuttal all this? Yeah, no, I'm going to say this first. I mean, not only is Mitch underrated as a GM, but he's underratedly tall. I'm going to throw this out there. I have yeah, a picture with him. Photo with him is always. And funny. my eyes are like his nipples, and it's it's pretty incredible. First of all. Was, Second, he wearing, was he wearing a shirt or? No, like yeah, I just, it was just nipple level. <laughs> Do you think I was just hanging out with him at Raging <laughs> Waters? Just... What am I? What am, where is this thing? It was a, it was at Staples Center. He's wearing a suit. Got it. Got it. Where I assume his nipples were. Okay, is that better for you? Yeah, that's better. Go Second on. Second of all, underrated as a GM, like you said, look at all these draft picks he's made, and I'm not even mad at this Luol Dang signing. Mozgov, different story. The Luol Dang, I like. He's a nice veteran presence. So even in this last offseason. I don't think he whiffed on everything. And yeah, sure, Mozgov. But also, I'm gonna try and find the silver lining. You know, CBA, all the all the money's going up. You're gonna everybody's gonna get paid more. So I think that Mozgov's contract isn't gonna be as bad as we may think it is going forward. Um, okay, so you guys, come on. Oh, you gotta respect Mitch for what he's done in the past. But at the current time, he's not doing that much to help us. And I understand the draft picks are great. I'm going to look at the draft picks. Nick, you're already trying to explode out of the seat with rebuttals, but listen, it's my time to talk. So, draft picks, fantastic. Clarkson, fantastic steal at that at that, at the 46th. Zubats, great at the end of the first, what is it, second round, I believe? It should have been a first round or mid-first round, easily. Um, you, you can't forget about all that. And, you know, I guess the D'Angelo Russell, you know, it's still to be seen. Very young still, but absolutely a talent. Better than Oak 4, I believe. But <clears throat> the... When the Lakers win championships, it's about making the move. 
CP3, that didn't happen. So who cares? You can bring that up all you want. Didn't happen. Doesn't matter. It did happen. No, it, it didn't, didn't happen because he it never happened. played a single game in a Laker uniform. So that, to me, is irrelevant. There, there's no, that was no, not, no fault of his own. That was all I know it's not his fault, but after that, it was over. We never got Chris Paul. So to me, you know, what can I credit him there for? Great. You put right together. Right. It didn't work, obviously. Yeah, it didn't, have, it didn't work at all. So, so, starting line only played 12 games together. But think yeah, about that team. That's, that's all part of it. You can't just dismiss that. The fact that he brought him in and got hurt and he had injuries, you know, now has been injury plagued since then. That was a start of that. Maybe we couldn't predict that, but you got to take that baggage with Dwight Howard. It was not a good signing, not good for the team chemistry. Him and Kobe butted heads the whole time. Let me remind you that that team went 20 and 12 in its final 40 games before Kobe tore his Achilles near the end of that streak. That team was playing extremely well, finally meshing after the entire turmoil of the season. And That's way that too team, small of a sample now, size to think. Team without Kobe tearing his Achilles into that into that playoffs. I don't know. Again, these are all these are all wonderful things to think about. Things that never happen. Lou Al Deng, the trade. Listen, things that Mitch did that he couldn't have. Yeah, the, out of his hands, maybe that's just Chris Paul trade. That's it. Everything else was, you know, so what. He signed him. You got to deal with the consequences. It's not just like, oh, he got hurt. So what? I don't take any of the blame for that. It happens. Players get hurt all the time. Who it's part of signing players. Credit with the fact that the Lakers have already eclipsed their win total from a year ago, midway through the season, before the All Star break. Yeah, I understand, but you know, sometimes look at look 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 look. Okay, with the Warriors, Mark Jackson is only going to take them so far. Maybe it's time to move on. At every point for a certain franchise, you have to move on from even someone that's great. Every great coach comes to an end. Every great GM comes to an end. Maybe this is Mitch Kupchak's time to move on, to go in a different direction, to go with the youth movement. We've already done it with a coach. Why not go to a GM? Something like that. I'm just saying, you know, we need to make a move to get into the championship contention. It's not about keeping on drafting players. You guys have both said it yourself. Just adding another chip, another place to develop, you know? Is Mitch capable of making that move? I hope so, but he hasn't done anything yet, and, and I don't know. Maybe it's time to move on. I think he is capable of making that move. You need a play. You need a piece. You need a piece that's going to have these pieces. young guys. No, a, a major piece. Yeah, that's major you're saying, piece. yeah, we need to bring in a major piece. I agree. Exactly. In this free agency, who knows? I'd tr- I would trust Mitch with making that move more than some other guy. I mean, okay, the last signing last year, obviously, Moscow terrible. Dang. Right now, it's cool, but it's four years. At the point when he's 39 on the Lakers, are going to be happy with that? Him just eating that money? That's not cool, I don't think. Especially at that time when we were supposed to be having the, the players already developed and, like, you know, as Magic said, one player way of contending with the Spurs and the Warriors. But there's also no guarantee that he is going to be here in four years. Trades are a thing, and Mitch has shown that he's willing to trade people. Well, yeah, obviously, but who's going to take him is more the issue with that. We'll see, but we see with the CBA and all the money going up, that contract, like I just said, might not be as bad as we think it is it, 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 as you time can't, moves on. There's no way for him to get younger either way. I understand that, but the contract gets shorter. Yeah, it money looks wise. like less money. I yeah. agree with that. When the when the cap total when the cap total does raise, it's less money. But there's no way to excuse an old man playing on the court. Four words for you, Sully. Four words. In Mitch, we trust. In Mitch, great. We I mean, I hope he does it, but maybe it's time to move on. Anyway, that was some heated chat. Let's move to the next section of the triple threat over under. Uh, and for the over under, continue with the Lakers theme. Bring it back. Bring it right back. You know, uh, the youth. We'll carry us into the second half, but what will the second half have in store for us? Uh, we're going to set the bar at 15 wins. We'll go 15 and a half, actually. So we can go over, under, 15 and a half, second half wins for the Lakers. Um, anyone want to start it? Over. Just over, 15. I'm very uh, enthusiastic about these moves, specifically Brandon Ingram going into the starting lineup. Um, I think it's only going to benefit him, and it's only going to benefit the team. I think he's really coming to his own. He's shown that he really likes to step up against these big opponents. He got Melo and Porzingis tonight. 
had a great game. Mm-hmm. He's shown already this season that he deserves to be there, and he's up for the challenge, and it's only going to develop him further. All right, so the Lakers have 18 wins right now. Um, they're 18 and 36. So if we give them 15 wins, um, using my great math skills, we're going to be at 33 for the, for the year, mm-hmm. which is over what Vegas predicted them at the beginning of the season. And, you know, and I believe we all said over that at the beginning of the season as well. Yeah, I was the only one that said over 30, though. You guys all believe kept in the 20s. Am I not wrong? Am I wrong on that? I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure when I mean, we talk. I had 30s. You know what? I might have said we'll 500. I might have even said 500. I, I said was pretty 40, bold. Maybe. Yeah, I might have said 40. I think we were in the 30s and you said 40. I can see that. Anyway, um, go on. But, yeah, what I'm, I'm going to have, unfortunately, well, you can look at it two ways, unfortunately or fortunately, but I'm going under. Uh, the Lakers, they're going to continue with the youth movement, which I think is great for the progression and development of the players. But, again, a young team has trouble winning games, especially closing close games. This team has been struggling for much of the season, and I don't see them really winning more games uh, with a younger starting lineup. I, what I do see them doing is growing as players individually, um, developing a chemistry. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna equ- uh, equate that to winning games, so I'm gonna have to say under. But at the same time, guys, let's remember here: uh, if we can stay under, uh, you know, there's a faction of Laker fans out there who is uh, I I know some Laker fans, some some good some good friends, some good Laker fans who want this. This draft pick again. They want it. They want. It, they want to tank. And uh, I'm not gonna say we're gonna tank, but this is a win-win. I think we throw the young guys into the fire. Um, it's gonna be tough for them to win games, but potentially get that pick if it's top three. I'm going under, unfortunately. Uh, not nothing against the Lakers because I, I'm enjoying what's happening right now with this, you know, transition of Ingram and Black and Zubats coming into more playing time. But uh, it's, it's going to be tough. The NBA is a tough league, especially for young players. The Lakers have to get way better on defense. That's what we haven't really talked about yet. They're the 29th-ranked defense in the league. So um, that's really where a lot of learning has to happen. Uh, offensive schemes are complicated, and it's tough for young teams and young players to pick that up. So um, we're going under. That's, that's, my, that's my take on it. Um, yeah, to me, I think you know, one part you've got to consider is just the second half of the season is shorter. So, you know, they've already played over 50 games. That's true. So to think that if they're going to win 15 in the second half, that's going about 500, and that's a pretty big improvement for them. That's why I'm going to go under, and it's close. I think they will get around still. I think they'll be you know right around the 500 mark in the second half, but I could see them ending at about 31 wins. I think that'd be fair. I hope so. I hope they go 15 and up. Um, but at the same time, you want to keep the draft pick kind of. You know, I, I I'm starting to think now. I know I wasn't too high on another piece, but they have a lot of good guards. And this may be getting into a bigger theory about what we're going to do with D'Angelo and what's going to happen in the future. But there's some pretty darn good point guards coming out this year. And D'Angelo is an asset to this team. Maybe we had a GM that was capable of trading him. (laughs) My thing is this. With Tanks, we had 17 wins last year. Yeah. And we had the second pick in the draft. We already have 18 wins. But uh, every every bad team has improved, I believe, to a certain degree. You know, look, look the, the, Suns, wanna... the Suns are as just as bad, but... The, the Sixers have 18 wins. Yeah. The Suns have 16 wins, and the Nets have 9 wins. <laughs> yeah, the Nets... I'm not going to sit here and encourage... Which means the Celtics. I'm not encouraging losing. I just don't think we're going to win enough to get we're, out of the top. We're talking about player development. I... I think if we're going to really develop these players and they're going to get better, which is what we all want, correct? Yeah. If these young players are getting better this season, we're going to win more games as the season goes on. 
Well, it's tough to make that sort yeah. of, uh, it's tough to make that equation there because yes, the young players will you know develop their skills, but again, the younger a team, the harder it is to win. I I think. And I hope it it'll be exciting. Like, they'll they'll have an exciting games for sure. But one of the toughest things for a young team to do is win close games, close out a game in the fourth quarter, and that's where I see them losing a lot of games. They'll play a lot of teams tough. I see that happening, but. Um, in terms of closing out wins, that's where I think it's going to get dicey and not gonna, not going to get over 15 more wins. The biggest issue is defense, and you said that earlier, I think. Is, but I think things like Zubac coming in are going to be really affected. Not like greatly affected. We're going to be a, one of the better teams in the NBA defensively, but he's going to help our defense. And they're going to mesh. These guys are going to play together more, and they're going to start meshing. They're going to find a rhythm with each other, somewhat like... How those Lakers went twenty-eight and twelve to finish the season before Kobe tore, Kobe tore his Achilles tendon. Yeah, and they started and, to mesh. And I think, and I understand the talent level is different. I get that, um, but the, the theory is the same, is it not? Yeah, and they will mesh. I think that it's any part of a young team is getting to know each other on on and off the court, um, and I think that's starting to happen with these Lakers. Despite that, I still think Nick has a very good point about closing out games because that's the Lakers' biggest issue right now is finishing in the fourth quarter. That's true. Um, they have been terrible on the road when they, that especially. So I think that'll take you know part of it. All those road games are you know much harder to win for this Lakers team. I kind of hope it turns out like the Timberwolves last year because the Timberwolves everyone thought maybe that was the year they were going to kind of they're kind of in a similar spot to where the Lakers are now, um, maybe a little less a little more talented, but. Um, they, you know, just couldn't finish games towards the end of the year. And in the last, like, 15 games of the season, they were probably, like, right around 500, maybe a little bit over, like, 10 and 5. If the Lakers, like, came out of the break not so well, kind of trying to, you know, figure back out what they had before they went to the All-Star vacation and then figured it out towards the end of the year but still finished in that bottom three, I would have no problem with that. And that would also be a positive note to go into the next season. But then the T-Wolves this season don't have 20 wins yet either. Yeah, but they were struggling this year. They're supposed to be better than they are right now. And losing Zach Levine like they just did is not going to help them at all. Yeah, I was going to say, poor one off Zach Levine. Yeah, that's tough. ACL tear to end the season. We would have loved to see him, you know, defend. You know, I was going to say defend his dunk contest title, but he didn't even win the dunk contest last year. It was Aaron, Aaron Gordon in a... Upset if you remember. No, no, that. You're, no. He won. won. And Aaron, Aaron Gordon, Gordon was upset. Aaron, Aaron Gordon should have won. Mistake. I know there was someone who should have won. It was Aaron Gordon or <clears throat> Levine. Um, anyway, I don't think he was even going to compete in the dunk contest this no, season. No, he said he wasn't. He wasn't. He wanted to be more of a complete player. He's not just a dunker. That's not true. Whatever. Yeah. Um, well, but um, if we're going to keep moving around the league here, uh, I want to give a special shout out to one of my new favorite players in the NBA, Mr. Yogi Ferrell on the Dallas Mavericks. Let me tell you a little story about Yogi. Um, it all starts uh, this past uh, June when he went undrafted in the NBA draft. He uh, hooked on with the Brooklyn Nets, the worst team in the NBA, who, um, you know, they've been taking L's all year, and they just took another one because they cut him. They did not bounce back. They did not yeah. bounce back, and they had not bounced back. Uh, they're actually the only team in the NBA who has yet to hit double-digit wins. Anyway, uh, Yogi was in the D-League, and uh, the Mavericks, with their injuries to their backcourt, uh, Darren Williams, J.J. Barea, um, decided to give Yogi a shot. You know, brought him on for a 10-day 10 10-day 10 contract. Uh, first game, Yogi helps them beat the Spurs. Next game after that, helps them beat the Cavs. He is out playing, you know, Kyrie Irving, Tony Parker, these guys. Um, but his coming out party was this past Friday in Portland, Yo, and oh, by the way, before this game, I had picked up Yogi on my fantasy team. I just want to sh- throw that out there. Humble brag. Not, not even long. I'm, I'm yeah. just <laughs> bragging about it. No. And uh, this game was a Friday night ESPN showcase uh, Blazers and 
Mavs, unfortunately, Bill Walton is not commentating this game. Fortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. We'll, we'll, get, fortunately. we'll get into that later. Uh, Doris Burke uh, was, was commentating it. And Legend. Doris is great. Doris is great. Doris is great. If you ever want to be on our uh, podcast, Doris, you're the Doris. Fan of the door podcast. Door is always open. Uh, pun intended. Hold on. Take a lap. Nick. Lap. All right, we're going to take this away from Nick because he said that. <laughs> we're we're gonna get... No, 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 no. No, no, I got to no. finish the Yogi story. No. Jeez. Oh, you don't even deserve to finish the Yogi story after that. Anyway, point of the story, 32 points, 9 threes. Uh, instead of signing a second 10-day contract, they just said, you know what? Screw it. We're giving you a two-year contract. Welcome to the league. Welcome to the team, Yogi. But was it an overreaction to do that? Overreaction, underreaction, two-year contract for Yogi Ferrell is what we're getting to. You know what? I love I love what Yogi's been doing. That's an overreaction. <laughs> yup. Come on. I'm right there with You're you. You're going to give my guy two years? <laughs> two years on a game. Two years? On a game. He put up 32 points in primetime once, and you're like, nah, nah, give him 164 a, more this games. This is such a Cuban move. <laughs> it's like watching a, a watching... You know, honestly, I was watching Shark Tank last night, and I was like, dude, he just did this in the NBA. Yeah. He saw something like, here's a, here's a couple mil, let's do it. Bow, I'm taking bow. 10% of Yogi Ferrell, and he's coming on the squad for two years. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know what the uh, what the numbers are on the contract. I'm sure it's not that much money. You know, it's probably, I probably, hope. But, probably the minimum. Probably the minimum. So it's fine in that sense, but, like, one game. I mean, more than one game. You could give him a year. You think, you, you think Yogi Ferrell gets <laughs> that a one-year contract how about the rest and he's of like, year? nah, yeah. I need two. Yeah, just to finish out this season. That happens all the time. That'd be fine. Why well, need two years? I guess he has a lot of confidence in him. Cuban, though, you know, when you see something he likes on Shark Tank, he goes for it. Yeah, Yogi, and he Yogi sticks was out it, there. So. Yogi was out there doing the MJ shrug. You know, he was stirring the pot, walking off the court, you know. Yogi, and he bounced back. He, he came, he, he, he redeemed himself. Or did he yeah. redeem himself? He proved his worth, came back tonight, tonight's game, another solid 15.5 yeah. assist game. He's proving to be an asset in the league, so not no reaction. Come on. You, you, do you, you, remember? Found, you found a gem, you, you, you lock him up, you put a ring on it, if you, if you will, um, you put a contract on it, and... First of all, the Mavericks aren't getting anywhere near any rings. Yeah, so, second of all, do you remember when Jeremy Lin was fire? Yeah. you remember when Jeremy Lin was tearing up the league? And Jeremy Lin is now a solid NBA contributor. Unfortunately, he's been hurt, and unfortunately, he's on the Nets. But Jeremy is a player in the league, and it all started... <laughs> Jeremy is a player in the league. <laughs> See, Yogi, Sasha Vujicic was a player Yogi, in the league. He is still a player in the league. He is still a player in the league. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yogi is, is solid. Though. I mean, don't, you know, don't get me wrong. Yogi, I'm pretty sure, is... Uh, up there on the leading scoreboard for Indiana, where I went to, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe the top. He was a great, he was a great player in college. He was a great player, and he probably should have been drafted a little so undersized. Was Tyler Hansbrough. A little undersized, also jacked, which you got to love. <laughs> Hansbrough, we can talk about that for days. That's a whole other greatness. <laughs> the ACC, maybe not in the NBA. That bloody nose, I'll never get over. I can just that's it's stained in my mind. But Yogi, two-year contract. We'll sum it up. Overrated. Overreaction. Nick. I'm sorry, the love, the love affair ends. Your whole your whole segment started with an L, with the door is open, <laughs> and you just didn't didn't recover. Okay. You did not bounce back. Yogi Ferrell, fans podcast, welcome anytime. Or your ass might get KOK today. Hit your ass from like way away, so away. I got the more. So we're getting a lot of things on the field, getting a lot of things on the court. It's time to take a trip over to the diamond. Oh, I like that. You know what I'm saying? And while I am excited to talk about the diamond, I don't know how excited I am to talk about our next person that we're going to be discussing here. Um, uh, as, as you may or may not know, uh, the Dodgers just signed uh, 
say it, Jess. Sergio Romo. Oh, God. Oh, no. Sergio Romo. The, the hated. Maybe the most hated giant. I hate him so much. Like. This was worse than we signed Shane Victorino. <laughs> You're a hater. This is so, like, I, I saw this. And I saw the Dodgers were interested. And I was, I laughed. Because I was like, that's not actually going to happen. And then the Bleacher Report comes up. Sure enough. How do you, how do you guys feel? Um, all right, for me, it's all about the health. You know, obviously, I, I, there's part of me that has had a, uh, a hatred for him for a long time as a giant, and not only a giant, but an outspoken and loud and, you know, on-field, the type of player not usually my favorite with the uh, fist pumps and the screaming and the beard. It's, you know, a little over the top, but he was very, very good for the Giants for a good amount of time. And this last season wasn't his best season, but, you know, I thought going into it, I was like, wow, okay, you know, he probably had an ERA around four last year. Check the stats, not so fast. It was pretty good, you know. Better than I thought it had been. 2-6-4 last year, 2-9-8 the year before. Both pretty good. Limited action last year, only pitching 40 games, but if he can stay healthy, this is a pretty good signing for a bullpen, actually. And I can take away... My hate for him, now that he'll be wearing Dodger blue, he grew up a Dodger fan, which I always knew. You know, he, he, he told a story about when he got drafted, his grandpa said, anyone but the Giants. Anyone <laughs> but the Giants. And he told his grandpa, you know, come on, man, I gotta, I gotta go, I'm going to the league. D2 guy, played at Colorado Mesa, if I'm not mistaken. So I gotta give love to him there. Similar type of pitcher to me, doesn't, top, doesn't really ever touch 90 anymore. Wipeout slider, gotta show love to that. So there are a lot of things for me that uh, are, are reasons I should like him, but all the years in the Giants made that hard to kind of uh, come to fruition. But now that he's a Dodger, I I think I'm ready to accept Sergio if he can throw well. But that's a big if. Yeah, it's 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 tough to see just because he is a Giant, as you guys have mentioned. Um, Sergio Romo has been this guy. He's been on the Giants for his whole career since 2008, so we've seen him a lot. We've seen that that little floating. That stupid floating slider that he the does. Frisbee right it's there. Like, yeah, he's the only guy who has that kind of pitch, and it was so effective and so annoying against the Dodgers all those years. Yeah. Um, Hanley, probably, Hanley never had an issue with it. But yeah, Hanley on. didn't. Um, Puig definitely did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely did. Yeah, and Puig, Puig is probably so happy that he doesn't have to face Sergio Jerome anymore because I don't know how many times we saw that Frisbee slider that Puig would chase. Uh, it's so sad, but... Point of the story is he's on the team now. A one-year deal uh, for three million. Not we're not we're not paying this guy a lot. I do so like that. That's okay. Um, and so you said you were you know you thought he had a rough season last year only to look at the numbers. I think you may have been remembering his meltdown in the playoffs against the Cubs. That it was kind of left a bad taste in everyone's mouth. Yeah. He, he, he that, and, I, and I actually had the same exact reaction to you. I thought he had a worse season than he did. Two six four year right. Two nine eight the year before. Two five eight for his career. So, yeah, and I think that's worth mentioning that postseason. That's one bad outing. He's actually been very good in the postseason. Actually got the last out of a World Series for them when they played Detroit. Struck yeah. out Miguel Cabrera. He was, the, he was the closer that year. And he yeah. was nasty that year. And so that's also a huge thing for the Dodgers. I think if he pitches well this year and we get to the postseason again, that's a dude that has all the experience in the world and also has that, you know, that mindset that's kind of he doesn't care what goes on almost, you know. He's just going to throw what he's got out there. He doesn't care who you are in the dish. He's going to bring what he has, and he's going to bring it every day. And in the postseason, he's stepped up his game, so I hope he can do that for the Dodgers. Yeah, he's going to be 34, so he's getting up there. But he's never relied on you know velocity, as we've talked mm-hmm. about. 
Um, it's all finesse. It's all that slider. I mean, Joe Blanton's 48, and he was our eighth inning pitcher last yeah. year. So. I thought he was 49, yeah. Yeah, you know. So, you know, end of the day, I think Sergio, you got to earn my respect. You got them already. You ain't got me yet. <laughs> the swine's a tough one. It's the same thing with Shane Victorino. <laughs> yeah. He never earned my respect. Garbage. Shane Vicarino, world champion, flying Hawaiian. What a friend of the podcast anytime. Uh, and, and speaking of pitching, pitchers, and you know the strike zone and all that, uh, the MLB is um, recently came out with an announcement that they are proposing some rule changes to the game. Um, one of them is raising the bottom of the strike zone, in which they say um, has you know these been the have been calling low strikes for a long, long time now. This might change that. Um, what they say is they're going to raise it from. The, I guess the agreed-upon bottom of the strike zone is just below the knee. They're going to bring it up to above the knee, onto the bottom half there. Um, I'm not sure. It's probably going to be negligible. I'm not sure about that. And I should say that these rules are subject to approval from the Players Association. Right now, the Players Association is um, you know, checking in with their own players to see what they think of these rules. But the one that I am more curious about and want to get your guys' thoughts on is eliminating the intentional walk, which is you know throwing four pitches outside the strike zone just to get the runner on base and instead the new proposal would be just kind of like in a video game you can say intentional walk take your base no pitches thrown um i'll just quickly give my opinion i think that's a dumb rule i think baseball is baseball pitching is pitching if you want to walk the guy walk the guy throw your pitches throw four pitches what they want to speed up the pace of play yeah it's another minute to the game or whatnot but you can't just click a button and say go to first base that's that's kind of cheating the system, you know, you guys may mention this, we've seen guys, you know, even hit that intentional ball in for a single, Miguel Cabrera did it, um, who you mentioned with Romo. Um, so I, I'm okay if they want to raise the strike zone, but you got to throw those four pitches if you want to walk the guy. It's horrific. Trash. Who do you think you are? It's a junk. Terrible. Those are both trash rules. I agree. I agree. These, these umps aren't going to change the way they call games. No. It's just you raise it. It feels like it's a. It feels like a, a uniform regulation of my high school. Oh, now we have to move two inches above the knee. Like get out of here. Uh, and and yeah, it's like umpires' discretion. That zone is going to change every game either way. Even if they raise it, there's still going to be umpires that call it at the knees. And you know they do it. The reason they wanted to have the uh, zone moved up is because it, uh, in theory, has creates more action because players want to hit balls up in the zone. Not true. They did a study on it last year. Multiple writers did, and it showed that with the zone raised, pitchers are trained to throw low in the zone, so they just took more walks, slowing the game down. Intentional walk. One of the most exhilarating game plays in the game, even though it's so slow. Just because you never know if he's going to throw it over, you know? It's ob- I don't know how to use the word exhilarating. Listen, yeah. when, when, there's, when there is a man on second and third, and it's the eighth inning, you know, when you're just watching, it's literally two people playing catch. But with 40,000 people watching you and screaming, that's exhilarating. And being like a pitcher in that situation, that is one of the hardest things to do. You know, you can get the yips so easily. And if you mess that up, you're on every, you know, shacked and a fool type highlight reel oh, that you can think of. So to take that away is, is awful for the game. It's so much fun to watch that. And, it's, yeah, like you said, just pressing a button. It's, you know, that's not what it's about. Throw the ball over the plate. I think two years ago there was something in college. This guy hit a walk-off grand, uh, not a grand slam because obviously they're putting him on base. Walk-off home run off an intentional, uh, attempted intentional walk. You don't it, take that out of the game? I Terrible call. Quickly, you know, this is a moment. You heard it here first, everyone. Um, spoke like a true pitcher. 
Exhilarating. That's how you know. Exhilarating. Exhilarating. That's how you know Sylvie's are like just a baseball head because he's yeah. out here just like the intentional walk is exhilarating. That's the first time I've ever oh. heard that in my life. Oh, I could go on for days. <laughs> it was. <laughs> that was a, such a bad idea. That's like that's like like man. You know what my favorite part of a basketball game is? Yeah. The free throws in the second quarter. That's what that, I mean. That, that is a cautiously optimistic view of the intentional walk, calling it exhilarating. <sighs> Thank you. Know? you. So you only get that here. That. You, you only get that, that here. At least. Brian Kenny's not going to tell you that. I am. Shout out Brian Kenny. We do like Brian now. And now it's time for the fast food flavors. Jesse, what is on the menu this week? Okay, so I mean, I'm sitting at home watching some Sports Center. And my man Jack Bach comes on TV. Jack. And he's out here preaching to the squad. He comes out and he says, Hey, I know you like bacon, swine. I know you like it. I mean, it's my name. You feel me? True. And then he's like, I got something for you. The triple bacon buttery jack. And he's had some buttery jacks in the past and they're delicious. You know what I'm saying? But he said, No, no, no. I'm going to throw three bacons on there. Some different types of bacon, but the best part is it's a bacon butter. He uses a butter but it's bacon infused. It's fire. <laughs> it's fire. Jack is coming with some nice, some nice bacon innovation, as I like to call it. And you know what? I'm gonna give it uh, since Nick needs a full star rating. Nick needs it. Um, you know it. You know it. It's a four out of five. All it's right. a really nice wow. piece. Four out of it's five. It's a really nice piece. Nick needs the stars. That's why we give him the stars every Four week. out of five stars for Nick. Um, for you know what? You're never gonna really go wrong with bacon. Next thing, you give me four bacon. Sure. Gonna be still good. Yeah. You can put as much bacon as you want in there, and I'm, I'm with it. So, triple bacon buttery jack, jack bucks, you did some beautiful things. Thank you for that, Jess. Thank you very much, Jess. Um, this may be a conversation for another time, but I was just thinking to myself this week that Jack in the Box may be a little overrated, so I'm glad to know that there's a great oh, new oh, thing. Oh. And you no, know I'm what? just saying. And you know what? That is a conversation, because they've been doing some very suspect yeah. things with their dollar menus. That's not, that is the reason why. They are out of control with the dollar menu, as you know. I know you are the dollar menu wizard, and mm-hmm. I am a fan of your work. It's tough to see Jack in the Box do these things when you're living on a budget, man. It's a travesty, and I'm just going just gonna to let this in right now before we have to move on, but it's a travesty that the two tacos are not a dollar anymore. Yeah. That is a staple of Jack in the Box to give you two do- two tacos, 99 it, cents. It feels... And they decided to give me one nineteen for two tacos. Yeah, it feels like that was one of the like it's original original parts of the Constitution, and now someone's changed it. You really hate to see that. Two I tacos, 99 cents. That. A staple yeah, of the country. That. Moving right along to the ice for our What the Puck segment, where we ask the puck. What the puck. What the puck. So today in hockey news, uh, it came out that while wow, really, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, some old players on their team, are actually going to be traveling to Russia for a little matchup potentially against Vladimir Putin. Now, Putin, you know, making some big waves, making some big news, doing some big things with some big rings. And wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um, for better or for worse, but, you know, he, he wants to get on the ice. You know, he has a tiger, he has a pet tiger, he's shirtless, and now he wants to get on the ice and play some uh, hockey with some, uh, some people. So, I don't know, Putin, you, you, you already uh, did some, you're already in America's um, mindset right now, and now you want to take, take things to the ice. I don't know what to think. Well, I'm going to say this. I mean, you're out here, you're quoting Drake with the big rings. 
we're talking about the Flyers, so I'm going to have to quote, not quote, but big up Meek Mill. Meek Millie. Meek Millie needs to get on that ice, too. I would love to see a Meek Mill versus Vladimir Putin matchup. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, controversial figures. Putin, uh, you know, he is a sportsman. You know, <laughs> stole that ring. So now he wants to see. He's got the confidence with the Super Bowl ring in his hand. Um, I guess he wants to take some flyers on, and I hope they check him very hard to the boards. Yeah, pull, pull another Justin Bieber. Yeah, you know. Bieber check. If Kraft wasn't bold enough to ask for his ring back, one of these flyers needs to cross-check Putin. I'm just saying. And it might as well be Meek Mill. Might as well. And Meek, do you think Meek Mill can skate? No. <laughs> no. think he can skate well enough to put a check on Putin? No chance. He can probably skate. You know what I'm saying? But he can skate like I can skate. Yeah, like not well. <laughs> not well. Not well. I've seen you skate. It's not a pretty sight. Well, I mean, judging off of the video, you saw the video of him slipping down the stairs at his mom's house. Yes, yes, that yes. That does not uh, make me any sort of yeah. believer in Meek Mill. A continuous L parade for Meek Mill. Yeah, he's, he has not bounced back from any of his last two years. And that will do it for What the Puck. What the Puck. Meek Mill. Meek Millie. This has not been an endorsement of Bowser Putin. <laughs> And we come to the final segment of the show, our super hot, interesting takes. A lot of fire coming at you in the past, but uh, this week, we only got one take for you. It's coming straight from the mouth of the swine. Just want you to take over with this week's super hot, interesting take. You know, we've been talking about college basketball. We've talked about um, a lot of teams like Arizona, Oregon. Uh, you know what? I'm going to talk about a team that hasn't beat any of them. You know? And that's... That's my USC Trojans. They battled against Arizona, and they got Oregon coming up at home soon. But I say that to say this. Those games don't matter. Because USC basketball, led by Jordan McLaughlin and Benny Boatwright, who's finally back in the lineup, uh, they're going to be Elite Eight this year, boys. <laughs> they're going to straight to the Elite Eight. Uh, yeah, well, that's a super hot, interesting take. Very interesting. Look, they, will, you know they're on the wall right now. They got Benny back. They got their leader back. Chemezi Metu's playing incredibly. They're a very good shooting team. They get hot in the tournament, they'll soar. The confidence that Jesse has with his USC Trojans, whatever sport it is. Through the roof. You got you, you, you do have to respect it. Um, well, you don't, have to agree, you don't have to agree with it, but damn, you, you respect, respect it. it. <laughs> well, uh, thanks for joining us on another episode of Cautiously optimistic. Josh Chamberlain was supposed to join us tonight, but we ran out of time. We'll have to get to him next week. Sorry. Again, follow us on Twitter. Cautiously Pod. Check us out. Yeah, check us out on Facebook. Cautiously optimistic. Again, we thank you very much for the feedback and the audience that you, the audience, we'll be back next week with another podcast. Until then, folks. I'm Sully Engels. I'm making moves. You got have a good one. She made that back move. Damn. She made the titties move. God damn. I make the city move. I do. I make the city move. I do. Look, give me the ball and I won't have to pass it. I ain't passing out till I'm asthma wow. I take a play and then I back to back and hit after hit, check the bat and that.